Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening, come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, everybody. So welcome to week five of Haggai. We've got today and next week left in our schedule. So I'm excited about um, today's text. <clears throat> so we will jump right in. Let's go to Haggai chapter one and two. We'll read through the text and then we'll talk about uh, today's passage Chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. So Haggai 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses in this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring in wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all labor of your hands." Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Chapter 2. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it is this, not in your eyes, is nothing. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, and I will shake heaven and earth and sea and dry land, And I will shake all nations, 
and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. On the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priest concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food, will it become holy? And the priest answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. And now, carefully consider from this day forward, and from before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days when one came to a heap of twenty ephahs, and there were but ten, and when one came to the wine vat to draw out fifty baths from the press, and there were but twenty. I struck you with blight, and mildew, and hail, and all the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the, seed, is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day I will bless you. And again the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the twenty-fourth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. So I hope you do this periodically when you study the Scripture. I hope you step back just a bit and read the whole text and get the context so we understand where we are as we look through the smaller components. So today's text is Haggai 2, verses 10 through 19. Uh, So if you look at your handout there, there's two graphics. The top graphic, again, is the calendar, the Hebrew calendar. So you see the inner circle, uh, the darker inner circle there with the months of the Gregorian calendar, the calendar that we use, and then the outer circle with the names of the months of the Hebrew calendar. So if you look at on the 24th day of the ninth month, so the ninth month on the Hebrew calendar is Kislev. Uh, And if you look at the 24th day of that month, what month does that correspond to in our Gregorian calendar? December, December, right. So that's your first blank. So we're in December. And if you think about what Hebrew holiday occurs in late Kislev, what Hebrew holiday occurs in late Kislev? Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Yes. And if if you're not spitting, you're not saying it properly. So that's... uh, Haggai's name is actually also a spitting name. It's Haggai. Um, so if you, if you really want to be ultra correct on his pronunciation of his name, you have to step back from somebody and then pronounce it. Uh, so sorry, Amy, I, I hate that you're sitting there for the reading of the text this morning. Uh, so just an initial question. just want to set a timeline here. Would these Jews have been celebrating Hanukkah uh, at around that point in the year? So I'm going to ask the why question. Would it, would it not have happened yet? I mean, Great answer. That did not happen yet, right? So the Maccabean Revolt didn't happen for a, a few more hundred years. So these folks didn't know anything about Hanukkah. That wasn't, 
that wasn't on their timeline yet. That wasn't part of their calendar. So even when, so I will give myself and all of us a challenge. When we see really good, useful, helpful tools like this graphic, don't assume that every graphic works in every part of all of history's timeline. Because there are some things that haven't actually occurred yet that, oh, okay, that just wouldn't have applied to them. Now, if you look at the Old Testament timeline, the calendar here, and you go from Passover in the first month all the way to the Feast of uh, Trumpets and Atonement, the Day of Atonement, the Tabernacles in the seventh month, do you see the long, dry spot all the way across the calendar until you kind of start that cycle again? And that's what the Old Testament, the calendar was built in with this activity, 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 long periods of dryness. Activity, 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 long periods of dryness. And if you look at their physical seasonal calendar, you see the lighter color there is the dry season. And it mimics pretty closely the number of months of dryness in the physical environment along with the lack of actual uh, holidays on their physical calendar. So God is okay with a lot of activity and then a long period of not a lot of activity. Uh, and when we think as modern Christians, I think this actually communicates to us quite a bit, that it feels like, well, there was all this activity and all this activity and all this activity in the past, and it feels like we're in this long, dry... God's okay with that. He will still bring things to completion at the exact right time. So don't panic over, it's been a little while since Jesus was here. He's going to complete what he said he was going to complete. So, so your first blank there is December. Just want to make sure we know where we are. So if you look on that second graphic, and you see in December there, in that, second, in that ninth month, what is happening in that ninth month in that green box there? <clears throat> we are sowing, right? So we are sowing seed because... The rainy season has kind of just is about halfway over. We're about to go into the cold season. Uh, this is the right time of year in that area of the world to sow and to plant crops. Uh, and so that's what they would have been doing. So with that in mind, let's keep going through the text. So on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, so again, this is about 520 B.C., the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priests concerning the law. And that, the Hebrew word for law is Torah there. So ask the priest concerning the law. So one of the things that happened, you go ahead and flip over to Ezekiel 44, 23. Um, but one of the things that, that we think about when we look at the law, when we think of Genesis, Nexus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we think of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rules and regulations and requirements. And it, I remember the first few times I read through the Old Testament, it was, my goodness, all these rules to keep up with. There's so much stuff. And the reality is, even those rules, the 600 and 20 whatever there are, they're just a framework of how they were actually to live. They were not, they, th those rules did not cover every facet of all of an Old Testament Jew's life. And because of that, what God commanded in Ezekiel 44, 23, was it say there? Who's got it? Anybody? Great. They shall teach my people the difference. Who's they? Uh, the leaders. Actually not. Back up just a couple of verses. The priests, yes. So he's talking to the he's talking to um, who's he talking to in Ezekiel? Um, yeah, so that's who they're taking care of, right? But he's specifically talking about the priests and the priest duties. So come back down to verse twenty three and what does it say in twenty three now? 
Yes. Uh, they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the common, and show them how to distinguish between the unclean and the clean. Absolutely. So Haggai comes along, and uh, he asks the people, he asks the priests a question, saying, if something's holy, is it holy? If something's unclean, is this unclean? So the priests are supposed to be able to know the answer to this question. So I just want to make sure that we understand that this was not a, uh, oh my, what, what do we do? We're being asked a question about the law. I'm not sure how to, no, no. This would have been theology like 099 in college. This is not even a 100 level course for them. This would be really basic introduction to things that you would have known before you even got into the priesthood. So he asks him here, concerning the law, if one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, so what's holy meat? Because we don't think about this, right? We don't think about, well, where are you going for lunch today? Well, I don't know. I'm thinking about going to get some holy meat. And like, we don't, like, what is that about? So holy meat would be what? Barbecue. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I have thrown it in. I would agree, actually. Um, dry rub and um, mama's fried chicken. And I mean, you got holy meat there. That's just the way this works, right? Now, so holy meat would be something that uh, is either about to be sacrificed or had just been sacrificed. Uh, the idea would be that it had, it had been dedicated for a very specific purpose. It was not common. It was not something that anybody and everybody used. It was something that would have come in contact with the service of the Lord. Uh, it was special. It was set apart. So the idea is you've got something that has been dedicated. It has been set aside as holy. So let's think about how holiness works. And, and somebody's carrying this in the fold of his garment, and with the edge, he touches bread or stew or wine or any food, will it become holy? So if I take something that is holy and I touch something that is not holy, does the not holy become holy because of touching? And we go, absolutely not. This is not the way holiness works, right? Holiness is not transferable from object to object, right? Okay. So, and the priests say, what? No, which is good, you know. And the priests have got to be thinking, Haggai, it's a really basic question. Why are you asking this question? And, and really, one of the ways that God uses communication to get points across to his people in the Old Testament is through a bit of sarcasm, a bit of, I'm going to ask you a really simple question, and and you're supposed to know the answer, and I'm going to take your answer, and I'm going to turn it around on you because you're not paying attention to something that you should be paying attention to. Uh, and it's just this, this literary device that God uses to get their attention just a little bit. So before we go there, I want to back up just a little bit to Numbers 19. That's your next blank. Numbers 19. So slide over to Numbers 19, and we'll talk about clean and unclean for just a minute. One of the things that I was not expecting with this particular study was I was not expecting to get the opportunity to go back and to cover such a, a wide variety of things that are helpful to understand this particular text. Um, and Haggai has been a lot of fun in that respect. So nobody's ever said turning to Numbers 19 was fun, but we'll see what we can do with Numbers 19 <laughs> here. So, All right, so, um, so we're talking here about... So does anybody have a title on Numbers 19? Laws about purification, right? So this is how to be pure, how to stay pure, how to get pure, all different types of laws of purification. Um, so there are things that a, a, 
an observant Old Testament Jew would not touch. I'll give you an example of one. Verse 11. He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. So if you touch a dead body, you're unclean. So what does unclean mean? Yeah, you, there's some things that you can't go do, right? So you are unclean from work before the Lord in the house of the Lord, in, the ta- in this point to be the tabernacle, uh, in the tabernacle to do the work of the Lord. There was a period of time where you had to step aside and you had to go through some purification process. And he then says in verse 12, He shall purify himself with water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and the seventh day, he will not be clean. So this is how you go from a state of uncleanness to a state of cleanness. Did it say you touch something holy and you become holy? No, it does not. Okay, so let's keep going. Is this regular water or does it have to be a heifer? This is the what water? The red heifer water? Uh, Yes, it is actually. Um, There's a whole lot of different kinds of water in the Old Testament. Uh, Depending upon what you did, you could wash in certain types of water. Uh, All of these remember, though, uh, what is the Old Testament? It's a shadow of things that are going to come and going to be fleshed out later on. This is my new favorite thing to say in Sunday school. I just, it's awesome. And Darla pointed out something to me via email last week that I had not even considered. So we talked about last week that the temple that was being built, uh, that's being rebuilt here. And, and in God's eyes, God really only ever saw one temple because it was on one spot. Um, you know, Solomon built it. It got knocked down pretty bad. Zerubbabel rebuilds it. That gets knocked down pretty bad. Herod comes along, rebuilds it. In God's eyes, it's really just one temple. It's not the three temples that we think about over the course of history. Um, but when Jesus himself goes into that temple and teaches, at some point he would have literally been in the shadow of the temple and the substance is standing in the shadow of the shadow. And I was like, what? (laughs) That's pretty awesome stuff right there. So anyway, that was my, I could not let that go. I had to include that this week. So thank you for thinking about Jesus even more. This is good stuff. Um, so there are some dangers. There are some dangers to not being uh, clean. So you look at verse 20, and this is probably one of the, the biggest dangers. So verse 20 says, the, the man who is unclean and does not purify himself, that person shall be cut off from among the assembly because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. So think about where they are. Where are they physically when they get these directions? They're wandering around in the wilderness. They need to hang out together. There is safety in numbers in the wilderness. There is not safety. You go get excommunicated from the group and go do your own thing. That is not a recipe for a long life. That is a recipe for the beasts of the wilderness will consume you and you will be found in a pile of bones one day. Right? There is safety in the assembly. So if you decide to ignore the direction on cleanness and uncleanness, you get kicked out of the camp. This is a big deal, okay? So the cleanness and the uncleanness is a really significant thing. Uh, look at verse 22. Yes, please do. Now, before you ask the question, I am not an expert in Old Testament cleanliness and purification laws. So. <laughs> yes. Who's checking this stuff? How do they know he's done this on the third or the seventh day? That's a great question. That they have to get the holy water from somewhere. Somebody's going to witness that. 
what's yeah. going on and him following that. But yeah. again, that's just my... Yeah, the priests and the Levites had a lot of inspection-oriented duties to do. Actually, do you know this one? That's good. Um, I have uh, eczema, <clears throat> and eczema uh, would have been categorized as a a problem in the Old Testament because that is a skin issue that it would prevent it would have prevented me from actually serving in the tabernacle or in the temple. Uh, there would have been a purification process that I would have needed to have gone through that the priest would have had to have inspected to see how is this progressing? How is this coming along? What is this? Is this going? Is this? So there was a lot of checks that the Old Testament actually puts in to make sure we're actually following the rules that God gave Moses, which was very helpful. So a lot of, and so I want you to think about this. Like you sign up to be the priest and you're thinking, oh, this is great. I get to serve in the temple. You get to do a lot of body inspections too. Yay. Right? I mean, it, it, please don't think that, that, these, that these jobs that God calls us to do are all, well, this is a beautiful point, isn't it? Are all nice and clean and sanitary and that's just, it's not how it all works, right? There's some, there's some muck and some grime involved in this. Yes, Dave? Also, the priests, the, the, uh, uh, the Levites, they, they got all of their food, their materials, Absolutely. their clothing, everything came from the, the temple, the duties yes. that they performed. Right. So, if they're excommunicated, it would be like they lost their job, their house, their food source. It's exactly every right. Every single thing. Yeah. When the people didn't sacrifice as they should, the uh, Levites didn't eat as they should. If you think about, you know, there's things called burnt offerings where you offer it up and you literally burn it and everything is consumed. And there's also wave offerings, right, where you just wave it before the Lord. I would have loved to have seen one of these. Because uh, it sounds hokey when we talk about it. You're, what do you mean? You wave it before the Lord. You wave it before the Lord. It's what he said he wanted. It's what we're going to do. I don't make the rules, right? I'm in communications. I'm not in rulemaking. Uh, you wave it before the Lord, but you would be able to do something like eat what you just waved before the Lord, and those things then the Levites would go and consume. That was how they ate, because their job was not to go out and farm the land. Their job was to serve the Lord and take care of the Lord's business. Uh, so... All kinds of ramifications that occur when people don't do what they're supposed to do, um, and this is one of them. So, who defines in the Old Testament what clean is? God defines what clean is. It's a really simple question, right? I just want to make sure that we understand that this was not the priests coming up and saying, oh, we get to make a judgment call, and this is clean, and this is not clean. No, no. God set out the rules for this is clean, and this is unclean, and... God told the priests to go and make the call on something that the Old Testament didn't cover. So they were to be so steeped in the law on how things worked that when somebody came up to them and said, I've got a question because I've got an argument and disagreement with my brother here and he believes the law says this and I believe the law says this and there's not really a law that's explicitly pointing this out. Who makes the call? Well, God told the priests, you make the call. Right? You've seen these baseball commercials, right? You make the, remember the whole ones? You make the call? Where was he safe? Was he out? Was he whatnot? Well, the priest, that was their job. So when Haggai, in Haggai 2, comes and says, you make the call, is this clean, is this unclean, that was part of their job. This was not something that was outside of their, uh, their job description. So I want you to think about one thing real quick. Uh, here's your next blank. Sin rubs off, not holiness. <clears throat> Sin rubs off, not 
holiness. Is that a blank on your handout somewhere? It's not a blank on your handout. Write that down. <laughs> Sin rubs off, not holiness. I knew when Darla had a puzzled look on her face and she flipped over the handout and then flipped it back and then flipped it over again that I had made a tragic mistake. So he said, if you take something holy and you touch it to something unholy, does it become holy? In the verse 12, the priest answered and said, no. In verse 13, Haggai said, if, if one, so now we're talking about a person, if one who is unclean, so this is somebody who is because of a dead body, right? So you're unclean. So how many days are you unclean? Seven days. Touches any of these, any of these food things, will, will they be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean, absolutely. Because uncleanness rubs off. This is the way this works. And Haggai answered and said, so is this people. And now comes the, the, the kind of snarky remark here just a little bit. Because I've, I've teed you up. I've asked you really simple questions that you know the answers to. And now we're going to take this and we're going to put the mirror really, really close and say, yeah, you got a problem. And here's the problem. So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work or every action or business or deed of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Now, let me ask you a question. What are the people physically working on right now? They're rebuilding the temple. And what day, what day are we at? We're the 24th day of the ninth month. When did they start working on the temple? Three weeks into the sixth month. They're three months into the temple rebuilding process. And Haggai tells them, what you offer is unclean. What? Because it feels like we're doing exactly what God told us to do. And Haggai is saying, what you offer is unclean. See, there is a scenario where we can work and it be unclean before the Lord. Because when our hearts are not right, it does not matter what our hands are doing. Does this make sense? God wants both our heart to be true and right with Him and our hands to be true and right with Him. He wants both. It is not just one. Now, the work has to get done, absolutely. And hi, my name is Jim, and I am guilty of saying, I am all about execution. Let's go fix the problem. Let's go solve it. I need a 19-step process, and I want it documented and signed off by all parties that are, agree. This is exactly what we're going to do. And I can zip right past the heart being right and jump right into problem solving. Has anybody ever experienced this in their own life? Yeah. Uh, now, the other side of that is... I only want to sit and worship and not do any work whatsoever. Right? So there, there's two ends of this spectrum. And what God is saying is we need both. Now, uh, I am not a phenomenal fan of J. Vernon McGee's illustrations. Uh, I think many times he gets them wrong, but he has a fantastic one here. And I, went, I made it a blank. Haggai is an alarm clock. He wakes us up and he disturbs us. And I've never heard anybody talk about, I love my alarm clock. It is the greatest thing in my house. Does anybody think your alarm clock is the greatest? I don't know. If, if you do, I don't want to know you. That's, it, it, he, you're his, there you go. Okay, well, that's good. Well, that was, that was very sweet. That was very sweet. He doesn't love me at the point of waking up. Yeah, okay. 
Yeah, I'm not going to tell any personal stories there. Um, <clears throat> I like sleeping where I sleep, so we'll, we'll leave that at that. Uh, but the alarm clock serves a critical function. The alarm clock rouses us from a state of unawareness to a state of readiness for work, readiness for action. It jolts us many times into a state of, oh, all right, I got something I need to go do. I got to go take care of this. And Haggai serves an alarm, as an alarm clock here, which I think is just absolutely beautiful. Uh, I'll give you another quote from J. Vernon McGee. Uh, Trying to make yourself acceptable to God through ceremonies and all that sort is like pouring a gallon of Chanel No. 5 on a pile of fertilizer out in the barnyard in an effort to make it clean and fragrant. <laughs> the, uh, the country church that I grew up in would call that shucking the corn um, because you just lay it bare and here's what it is. So we're not going to beat around the bush. So we come to verse 15. It says, and now, now that I have jolted you just a little bit, now carefully consider, and remember back from Haggai 1.5, this put your heart to the path. This is a very similar phrasing here. Carefully consider from this day forward, from before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord. And that would have been, you know, 16 or so years earlier. Since those days when one came to a heap of 20 ephahs. Look in your personal text of the scripture here. I want you to see what your copy of the Bible says for this heap of 20 ephahs, which is not something that I come across on a daily basis, a heap of 20 ephahs. Um, anybody got anything different in your text of the scripture? 20 bushel crop. 20 bushel crop? There you go. Um, there's all kinds of ways that you can translate this. The point is, we took in 20 units of something and after we went through the process, there were but 10. We expected to get a large harvest. What we actually got was half of that. The point is not that it was probably corn and that it was probably a measure that's about five, an is probably about five gallons, so they were expecting 100 gallons of corn and they only got 50 gallons. That's not the point. The point is they got substantially less than what they were expecting. And then when they came to the wine vat or the wine press to draw out 50 baths is a liquid measure from the press, there were but 20. So again, this harkens us back to Haggai 1.6 where the land is not producing as it should. In verse 17, I, stuck, I struck you with blight. Anybody have a different word in your translation than blight? Blight's actually a really good word, but most of us are not uh, farmers. So does anybody know what blight is? What's that? Mold? Mm, blight? It's actually when the fruit rots prematurely, like tomatoes, you'll typically right. see them green, and they're right. supposed to go from that to maybe pink or red, right. and they go, it, it'll, go from, it'll go from green to black. Yes. And that's wrong. Yeah. It's, it is nastiness. Yeah. It is. You, you look at it and you go, what is wrong? I mean, it is, a, it is a blatant visual picture of something is not operating as it should. And then mildew, which everybody loves mildew. Um, pro tip for you here. Um, if you ever see any type of mold in your home, deal with that immediately. Uh, otherwise, you might get to write a check with a comma in it. Hi, my name's Jim. Um, so I struck you with blight and mildew and hail in all the work of your hands, yet you did not turn to me. God is trying to communicate with them. No, he is not trying. God is communicating with them, and they are not listening to the message. 
So verse 18, Consider now from this day forward, this is another imperative, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it, another imperative, is the seed still in the barn? So the question I asked you was, was there seed in the barn at the end of that month? No, because they should have planted it by this point. This is a rhetorical question, and the answer is supposed to be no here. It's like, no, we've, we've been planting this. So what he's trying to tell them, you have, you have sown and you have not harvested what you expected. You have, you have planted and it has not come to fruition. I have taken the labor and the work of your hands and you are not getting the result that you expect. What have you done with your seed? It has already been planted. He is trying to get them to think through what's about to happen to the crops that they just planted. He's trying to get them to think through what is about to happen. In verse 19, is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day, what? I will bless you. And this to me is utterly, utterly beautiful. See, there was a, there was a process, and I do not know why, but there was a process that they had to go through because of their prior disobedience. And God was saying, I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to get your attention. And we're not actually told what happens on this day. Perhaps there was some heart change of theirs on this day that Haggai saw, that God saw and communicated to Haggai. But something changed on this day. And God in this passage is giving them hope, which is what you would need. Remember, they just came out of 70 years of captivity. All they wanted to do was to get back to the land. When we get back to the land, everything is going to be great. And they get back to the land, and everything is not great. Everything is awful. Their work is not fruitful. The ground is not producing. There is blight. There is mildew. There is hail. You know what hail is? Stones falling from the sky. That's not supposed to happen, (laughs) y'all. Okay? This is not good for farmers. Like farming 101, what do you not need? You don't need hail. Right? That's not part of the recipe. You need sunshine and you need some water. There's no hail in that. Leave the hail alone. Right? So, yeah, don't go crazy on me. Okay? <laughs> so what's the application here? All right, let's jump ahead. <clears throat> what's the application? Number one, purity matters. You see how this is a shadow of something to come? If we allow uncleanness to run rampant in a modern-day church, what happens? Badness happens. Very badness happens, right? So what's the personalization? Clean up often. Clean up often. Somebody asked Zig Ziglar one time, he said, uh, why do you talk so much about encouragement and motivation? He's like, well, it's you know, kind of like bathing. We, we recommend it often. You, you ought to bring your own encouragement. You ought to be, bring your own motivation. We, we recommend bathing often. You ought, you ought to bathe often so that we stay clean and we stay ready to go and ready to do what we need to work. So clean up often. Uh, number two, God sets the standard. So I think a good thing to do would be know the standard. I'm going to change that. Know the standard and live the standard. Uh, number three, substance overshadows. So look for the shadows, but love the substance. Don't fall in love with the shadow. Uh, number four, sin hurts. So this is, the, I would say, a, a biblical way to describe actions have consequences. 
Uh, so don't be bitter, but be thankful. Because they had to live in the result of their sin through crops that weren't working right and productivity that wasn't there. But, but there was hope, and they should be thankful for the hope, and we should be thankful for the hope. So hearts plus hands equal obedience. So purify your hearts and purify your hands. And the gospel is all over the Old Testament. I promise you, it is all over the Old Testament. This idea of cleanliness being defined by God, this idea that holiness does not rub off. Haggai is telling the people, holiness does not rub off. But what does God do through Jesus Christ? He takes Jesus Christ's holiness and He imputes it into us. Holiness actually does rub off in the New Testament. Because there is a sacrifice that is big enough and powerful enough to make this happen. The once for all sacrifice, Jesus Christ. These blood of these bulls and goats were not powerful enough to do that. But the blood of my Jesus is powerful enough to do this. And this changes everything. So Haggai, even in this, is an illustration of the gospel. Because the shadow is not as good as the substance. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story. Next week is probably the happiest part of the whole story as we kind of finish up the last bit. So uh, your homework this week is to read Haggai again. There's still so much there. Now, I skipped probably about 65 or 70 percent of my notes this morning. Uh, So if you're interested in hearing some of the rest, then that will be tonight at Saudi Daisy at 5 o'clock. Jules, help. Jules, help. 5 o'clock tonight at Saudi. Is that what I speak? Yep, 5 o'clock at Saudi. Cool. So, thank you for coming this morning. There's a weekly update at your table. Uh, we also have the the gospel. Yeah, it's the gospel. Come on. We're going to end with the gospel, dang it. That's exactly right. Uh, on your weekly update, something to be aware of, the, uh, the lesson schedule. So, today was Haggai week five. Next week is Haggai week six. Uh, George Jackson is going to be covering two weeks for me on October 30th and November 6th. And then on October 30th, we've got a Sunday school lunch. So if you have input into how you would like that to go or where you would like that to be, my beautiful bride is back there not paying attention. There we go. Thank you. And you can give her your input on that. So we'll have some details on that next week. Thank you for coming to Sunday school today.